Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. What's your shirt say? Okay, so this is a, it seems like an unnecessarily long backstory, but where I grew up, there's a theme park called Silver, Silver Dollar City. Okay. And it's in like in the Ozark Mountains and it is like turn of the century themed. And it sounds really weird, but it's an absolutely beautiful park. Uh, but there is a ride there called Fire in the Hole. And Fire in the Hole is closing this year. And it was like one of the very first rides when the park opened. And I've been going to Silver Dollar City or Steal Your Dollar City, as my dad calls it. <laughs> <laughs> I have been going there. Sit, like, I have memories of being there in a stroller. Yeah. And Fire in the Hole was like the first grown-up ride that I was like tall enough to ride. Because I remember being so upset that everybody would ride fire in the hole and I couldn't because I wasn't tall enough. So when I was tall enough, that was like the first big kid ride that I rode and I cried the entire time. Um, in the lure of the Ozarks, the lure, not the lure, the lure of the Ozarks are a group of vigilantes known as bald knobbers. And historically, Bald knobbers were people who fought like Confederate soldiers. And, you know, because Missouri being like right on the Mason Dixon line, and then Southwest Missouri being like right on the Mason Dixon line. But starting around like the turn of the century, they kind of got villainized. Um, I think because they were like, hey, don't be racist. And everyone's like, boo, you're the worst. <laughs> So the whole point of fire in the hole is that that like the bad bald knobbers um, are like attacking this town, which sounds very strange. Like the whole concept of the theme park is very strange. So at one point in the ride, you go around and there is a like an animatronic guy. So, but also like 1970s animatronic. Um, but it's just his butt with like the red long johns, you know, with the flap in the back. Uh -huh. And you hear the wife say, and I was like, the, the town is all in flames and stuff. And the wife says, Red Flanders, <laughs> come back in here and put your pants on and put on your pants. So it's ah. like, Red Flanders, you come back here and put on your pants. <laughs> so then he says, I don't know if you can read it. Well, but, Sadie. Yes. Well, well, Sadie, I ain't got no pants. The dang ball number stole them. Solem. So that is what my shirt says. <laughs> Here I I saw the word red flanders. Here I am yes. thinking I'm getting a beer story. <laughs> but no. <laughs> That's true. I didn't even think about that. That's what I thought it was. I was uh, but yeah, so I was back home after we took the master exam in large part. Well, one, because I didn't want my family to come visit me, but two, because Fire in the Hole is closing at the end of this year. So I wanted to go back and write it one more time. And my cousin Marie, who's I think like a year or two older than I am, she and I used to go like during the summers. And if you've ever been like a local living near a theme park, 
you know this, like you go during the summer on like a Tuesday or something and nobody's there. So you can just ride the same ride without like even getting off because there's nobody waiting. So we would ride fire the whole like 15 times in a row. So we can do the entire, like I could reenact the entire <laughs> for you. And this was, this is like the, we would always be like, I ain't got no pants. The dang ball never stole them. <laughs> Much like to the joy, like the never ending joy and hilarity uh, of our family that the two of us would always say this. So now that the ride is closing, they have these shirts for sale. So uh, I wrote it one last time with my cousin. Yeah. I got this shirt. So I was it, like, wow, the shirt lasted for so long too. <laughs> Still fits you. Yeah, right. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that is, that is the shirt. And I like, I only, after I bought it, I was like, this is awesome. And I was like, okay, I can wear this around my family or at home because yeah. how long did it just take me to tell you? I could have just easily said this is from a ride, but I did not. Um, but yeah, I was very like, excited, so I can't, so. like, this isn't a wear it out in public yeah. <laughs> shirt. Um, also I, it's just got a lot of print on it and I don't want people just staring at my midsection for that long. Yeah. And they're like, wait, turn around. Yeah. And I was like, that, that still doesn't make sense. It doesn't. <laughs> Turning around did not help. It didn't add context. Well, thank you for that. So there you are. Yeah. And no one will ever ask me a question about my wardrobe again so well i'm gonna start this episode all right yeah attenuation 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 and flocculation to attenuation medium attenuation low attenuation attenuation do you get it? Yes, that's marvelous. That's I'm clapping very, for very myself. Good. Yes, <laughs> I'll clap for you. Thank you. I was working on that this morning when I was doing things. Oh, that's good. I was like, how <laughs> am I going to start today's episode? <laughs> well, I couldn't think of the song either. Like, you know, like the, the, the classic song, you know, I'm trying to, it's yeah. like, Boop, 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 boop. What's that song? Boop, boop, hallelujah, boop, boop. hallelujah. Oh no, hallelujah. no! It sounds like that, but I don't think that's the song. Okay, no. it's like a on the piano or something. You're, you know, classical. Yeah, no words, no words. It's like one of our listeners will tell us. <laughs> Anyways, we're talking Many about- of our listeners will just be like, shut up. Hey, sometimes you have to listen to 10 minutes of sponsor ads before these podcasts. Sometimes you get to listen to us. That's right. <laughs> so, well, because we can't find a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will we'll sponsor start making, us. We'll start making our own commercials. Now accepting sponsors, anything will do. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think that was good. I think that's album worthy. Oh yeah, we've got to. I mean, we've we. I think we've at this point collected a good three or four hit singles. I think so too. All right, we'll work on that. 
And now that I'm taking master again, I get to create a whole wrap for all the off flavors on the syllabus. And I will release that for you guys. So you can just learn it. And then everyone can go take the master test. Right. Can walk in there being like four to the E and you know me and ethylene and bacteria. And everybody <laughs> learns it. Everybody goes in seeing it. Yeah. What I, what I imagine. That would be amazing is you come up with that rap, people learn it. And then like for years to come during like the tasting panels with the off flavors, I'm going to just see people being like, yes. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> like their heads are popping up down because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're singing my rap because yeah, they're right down those off me. flavors. Yeah. You know, you want to, <laughs> I think we've said this before, but as soon as you get that test, you write down a list of them off flavors. So you don't forget. That's right. And, That's you got, right. and in order to write down a list, you got to memorize them. And what better way to do that than with Rachel's rap? <laughs> rap Ray. After rap Paradise. Ray. After Paradise. Are we like a seven or three foresters now? I think so. Yeah. Take credit where you get credit. That's right. <laughs> I want I want credit for time served. <laughs> All right. Let's get this because in reality, everybody, we are just starting this podcast for you. But Jen and I have been messing around for about 30, 40 minutes now. Yeah. Well, we should have been doing this. Finished by now. (laughs) So we need to get it together because we both have a very tight timeline. I have no idea why we're messing around like this, but here it is. Jen, start. <laughs> sorry, I was looking at emails. Um, oh, sorry. See, this is why we can't get it together today. But right. we're here to talk about attenuation and flocculation. If you could not pick that up from my incredible song, right? That I just dropped on you. Yes, and this was like four episodes ago. We set out to do this yeah. episode, and then just ended up talking about studying because instead. our brains couldn't do it. Our brains right. were like, no. Screw you, screw you, screw you. <laughs> yeah. No more. Stop yeah. it. We full. Hopefully you don't get asked about it. <laughs> and then, yeah, and luckily we did not. I mean, I would have been fine, but, you know, you're never as good as you could be when it comes to that shit. Yeah. Sorry. Trying not to cuss so much. Why? Why? I don't know. Um, Translates into real life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not a big cusser like that. Probably you're more really so. not. Than- I'm not. Uh, all right. Anyways, let's start this episode. We're going to talk about attenuation and flocculation. So they kind of go hand in hand. So if you're, if you're out there talking to all these brewer people and you hear these words thrown out like attenuation or flocculation or you're brewing, you know, and you're looking at your yeast and you're learning more about yeast and you see these terms flocculation and attenuation. And what does all that mean? You know, well. Flocculation to start. Um, and Jen, you just, I'm just going to start and you just like jump in with me. All right. I don't, I don't, don't know. You, unless you got a better plan. No, as I was say, why don't you give me the definition? And yes. this, this episode is going to be heavy on the analogies. Yes. I'm going to remember one plus one. So let's start with one. So what beer is has like, four ingredients? Beer has four. <laughs> no, it's good. Beer has four ingredients, and this episode is going to focus more about the yeast side of or the yeast ingredient. And flocculation is when yeast cells clump together, basically forming a mass 
and settle out of suspension from the beer. So you know that the most ideal beer out there is typically clear. If you know me, that's my opinion about IPAs. <laughs> but anyways, so we're talking about the act of clarifying. And this happens after primary fermentation. So we've gone through the brewing process. We've put the wort into the fermenter. We've pitched the yeast. Primary fermentation is as completed. Um, so maybe a little bit different exceptions to that. But we'll, we'll as I explain it, it will make more sense. But basically, primary fermentation is completed. Secondary fermentation is completing and now things are starting to settle out of suspension and they're starting to fall into the bottom of the fermenter they're starting to flocculate so they the yeast cells are clumping together they're forming this mass which is becoming heavy so they're as more yeast cells clump together the more weight they are occurring and then as you know gravity does its thing that allows it these yeast cells and particulates to settle to the bottom of the fermenter and settle out of suspension of beer. So a lot of times you'll hear as a yeast categorized as a high flocculent strain, a medium flocculent strain, and a low flocculent strain, which we will touch under. But I think, uh, you know, when we're talking about flocculation and just to draw that picture a little bit more for you, if you think about a yeast cell having like little pinchers coming out of it and little grabbers like think about your hand as a little grabber and you have these yeast cells coming out or these grabbers coming out of the yeast cells and when there's no more sugar present for the yeast to be acting upon then they start to grab to each other and form this mass and jen and i took a yeast class where they like have pictures of that and they show it out and it was just a really good way for me to visualize it and and um understand what is happening chemically because or biologically i should say so again this happens at the end of fermentation yeast flocculation is categorized into high medium or low and a high strain is going to start flocculate the earliest which can leave behind some unfermented sugars or unwanted flavor compounds like diacetyl where a medium um, strain is going to be more commonly used and this will start to flocculate as sugars become less abundant um and then a low flocculation strain is going to stay in suspension well after the fermentation has ended. And this is something you'll see in like a wheat beer um, where low flocculation is desirable in this case. Finished beers are meant to be hazy with yeast in this situation. For our haze episode, you wouldn't know this unless you listen to this, but we highly recommend that you listen to this episode first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll give a disclaimer when we post it. Yes. So with the, like Rachel said, um, flocculation isn't about sedimentation, but rather it's about the aggregation of single cells into flocculation. And those are known as flocks, F-L-O-C. So you might sometimes hear people talk about flocks. Like Rachel said, it, it occurs at the end of fermentation and it involves the interaction of cell wall proteins on one cell to carbohydrate branches on the cell wall of another cell. And this is where, when you're learning about like the importance of calcium in the brewing process, like calcium has got a lot of, it's very important in a lot of different ways. And this is one of the ways that it's necessary. So you need to have at least 50 parts per million of calcium. That's going to be adequate for most beers. 
but calcium is necessary to activate that cell wall protein. So if you don't have enough, uh, if you don't have enough calcium in your wart as fermentation is happening, then you might not get as good of flocculation. And like Rachel was talking about with those little kind of like, it's kind of like a handshake between yeast cells. And if you're, you know, if you don't have enough calcium, then that protein on the cell wall isn't going to activate. So you won't have very good flocculation. So you're going to end up with a really yeasty beer. It's going to be really hazy. And the, well, this will be analogy one. The yeast cell wall is like reinforced concrete where the there are enmeshed alkali, which are insoluble glucan fibrils. So those are going to be like the steel rods, like the rebar in the cell wall, that's kind of the structure. And that's going to be about 35% of the cell wall. And then you have manoproteins, and those are kind of like the pebbles in the sand cement matrix of reinforced concrete. So that's going to be 25 to 50%. Beta-glucan and chitin bond those manoproteins to the fibrils. So those uh, that enmeshed alkali is what like the, the chitin and the beta-glucan come in. And if you think about like what we know about beta-glucan, that's kind of gummy, right? So that's going to bond all of that together. And for our second song of the day, Every time I see the word nanoproteins, I think of the Menomina song from Muppets. <laughs> so that's my, that's my. I get it. I see it. Banana protein or banana protein. Banana proteins in yeast. And I just learned today. Uh, so this is, you will not be hearing this obviously on the day we record, but we're recording on November 27th. On November 27th, 1969 is when the Menomina song uh, first debuted on the Muppets. Did you look that up? No, uh, you... but I do. Well, I follow a lot of Muppet Instagram accounts. Ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yes. So I saw that today. Also, I'm sorry to anybody who now has that song stuck in your head um, <laughs> for the rest of the day. But I'm also not sorry because that song is almost on a constant loop in my head. Um, if you want to know what the inside of my brain looks like. <laughs> So the, she's made room now that she's a master yeah, that's checking on new things. Actually, what's really happening is in my brain, like the, the little sunglasses guy and pink ladies from the Muppets Menomina <laughs> video, just like slowly started elbowing their way out to make more room for themselves again in my brain. And like all of the beer stats are like, oh, no, <laughs> out of here. <laughs> So in the cell wall, the glucans are the major polymers, and they're going to compose 30 to 60% of the cell wall, which I think is just such a weird stat. But like, I understand for different kinds of yeast, that's, that's where that variation comes in. But it's like, it could be a little or a lot. It's kind of like the American Amber Ale. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It could be malty or hoppy. <laughs> But those glucans, and again, if we think about what we know about beta-glucans, and we've talked about those in like our wheat episode and our mashing episode, those are going to be really gummy. Uh, so what they do is they form a net over the entire yeast cell, which makes sense, right? They're kind of gummy. They're going to stick together and they're kind of a bonding uh, bonding compound in there, but they're only, they're restricted to the inner 
layer of the cell wall, of the yeast cell wall. And then you have your manoproteins. So these are essential for cell survival, but don't play a role in the cell shape or its rigidity the same way that glucans do. These can compose 25 to 50% of the cell wall. And those are the receptors that Rachel was telling us about that are like the little hands that reach out uh, the manoproteins that are then going to interact with, uh, with carbohydrates on another cell. And this is just another thing. I know that I like fan out over beer all the time. Um, fan is in like being a fan of not, I don't free amino nitrogen over there. <laughs> um, over in her office, like free, you're free, you're yeah. free. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, it's one of those things about beer that is like everything just works together. And that, that like, once you learn like, it's not something that just happens, which, yes. you know, for a long time, we thought that it was like, this is like, this was God is good. This is regenerative life is happening. Well, it, and it's like, it all, this is why pH is important. This is why right. water adding or knowing the amount of calcium in your water and building your water up or tearing it down or whatever you need to do is important because yes, they all, they all, it's one big canvas. Brewers provide a canvas that yeast makes its art upon. Oh, that's what someone told me one time. And I was like, you're such a loser, but, <laughs> it is, but it's true. <laughs> it is. And, you know, honestly, I think that that is as you move through areas of expertise and it doesn't necessarily have to be like within the Cicerone framework, but I can point yeah. to the Cicerone framework specifically, like, you know, level two, you, you learn that there are chemicals in water you know, yeah. like maybe, and I, I don't recall what you have to remember for level two, but like, you don't have to read John Palmer's water book for level two, right. But for level three, you do. And so it's like you, you get introduced to like level one is there are four ingredients in beer. Level two is these are the ingredients in beer. And yeah. then level three is starts to get into, these are how this all interacts. And yeah. that's, that's the thing that as you get more experience, you start to learn, just like you said, like, oh, this is why pH isn't, this is, here's another reason why pH is important. Here's where calcium also comes into play. Like the stuff doesn't just happen. And part of mastering those skills is being able to make those connections and understand the, the why behind the how, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe on advance, you can say like, oh, calcium is good for like these seven reasons. And yeah. then on master, it's like, you know, Please provide encyclopedic knowledge about why yeah. that is. Yeah, or like list list <laughs> yeah. um, the most important function of calcium in yeah. flocculation. You know, yeah. so like that's that's where that level of knowledge comes in is just starting to really understand those relationships and all that interplay. And I just think that's real cool. Me too. Yes. So back to flocculation. Um, chitin, which is spelled C-H-I-T-I-N is also found in the cell wall and is found almost exclusively in the scars left on the mother cell surface after the cell has budded. So that's how our yeast propagates is that it grows cells. So those are known as like mother cells and then daughter cells. So then the mother cells will have a scar uh, where that daughter cell grew and broke off. And that's where a lot of that chitin is. And chitin is this fibrous substance that consists of polysaccharides. 
So then we also have proteins. Those are going to be five to 10% of the cell wall. And those are going to consist of structural proteins, enzymes. So um, enzymes help with the metabolism of nutritional substrates and cell wall amorphogenesis. So cell wall shape and and then also those manoproteins, those surface receptor proteins that we talked about. So when right now, the current theory of fermentation is the leptin theory of fermentation. And like, again, there's a lot about fermentation that we're still like kind of in the God is good arena of, of like, now we have a lot more information. We have a lot more scientific ways to replicate things and look at things and examine things. And this is our best educated guess right Mm -hmm. now. So the lectin theory of fermentation says that cell to cell interactions of flocculation are driven through lectin like proteins bonding with outer mannin change. So there's two types of lectins where sugars inhibit flocculation. So this is what Rachel was talking about with flocculation. The, you know, the yeast is going to start eating those sugars first. Flocculation doesn't happen until those sugars are not there anymore because the sugars inhibit that flocculation from occurring. It inhibits them from bonding with each other. So there's two types of lectins where the sugars will inhibit flocculation. So the first and I love these names, is flow one. And that is inhibited only by mannose, which is a sugar that is not present in wort. And then we have new flow. And (laughs) that is inhibited by mannose, maltose, sucrose, and glucose. And we know from our episode on sugar that we, um, maltose, sucrose, and glucose are present in wort with glucose being the most simple sugar that like, if that's present, the yeast will eat that first, then sucrose, then maltose. Uh, But maltose is most of what, most of the sugar in wort. So that flocculation is not going to occur when those are present. Mm -hmm. Those will also differ in response to pH, protease digestion and cation inhibitors. I think I said cation. <laughs> cation. Oh my yeah. God, I did it again. Cation inhibitors. <laughs> so like Rachel said, once the yeast has consumed those sugars that are in the way, that's when receptors and proteins can start flocculating. The hydrophobicity of the cell wall surface may also play a role in flocculation. So hydrophobicity, meaning you do not like water. So the cell wall surface is also trying to get out of solution. And the phosphate content of the outer cell wall is what appears to be that key determinant in uh, in the hydrophobicity of the yeast. And that is also part of the theory why some yeast might be top fermenting versus bottom fermenting, that um, the top fermenting yeast maybe top fermenting in part because they are more hydrophobic. So they're trying to get out of that water sooner or out of like out of solution. Yeah. And sometimes the clumps in an ale yeast, like when flocculation happens, will rise to the surface Mm -hmm. and form a thick layer. Okay. So Rachel, you talked about like high, medium and low flocculation and kind of what that means. Mm -hmm. If I have 
like what would be the advantage of one of the biggest things we talked about was like high flocculation. Sure. So, yeah. So like you said, high flocculation is like very common in British ale strains. That's why in British brewing, there's things like Yorkshire squares and the Burton union system is because that yeast is so high flocculating that they're trying to move it you know, keep it moving through the beer so it doesn't just drop out early and exactly. end up with kind of incomplete fermentation. Yeah. Uh, so like British ales, for example, I think a lot of times when you're looking through B- BJCP style guidelines, at least you see a lot of like oh, a little bit of diacetyl is okay. And a little bit of these, a lot of these styles. And that's because this high flocculation yeast is doing what it it's supposed to do it is flocculating early and breweries need to do different things to kind of counteract that um it can be you know the smaller the brewery the more simple that becomes obviously you know if you're home brewing and you've noticed that your gravity is kind of stalling you know you're let's say you're taking a gravity every day because you're a good home brewer and you notice that things are starting to kind of stall out, you know, maybe a little bit, let's say you're aiming for a 10, 10 gravity and th- things are stalling out 10, 15, 10, 13, but you know that you need to go low, you need to get it lower. So, and you know, you're using a British flocculated yeast and, you know, even if you're not using a British yeast, this can work for anything if you need to get things going back in suspension, but flocculation, what I'm getting at is reversible. Um, if your things, if, if you need to get this yeast going again, you can shake your carboy. If you have a fermenter, like a cylinder conical fermenter, I also cannot talk today. Um, you can like, you know, we've put CO2 on the bottom of that fermenter and kind of burped the yeast, kind of opened up the bottom and allowed the the pressure of the CO2 to kind of resuspend things. Um, if you're a bigger brewery, you might need to do a little bit more of a process. Uh, before I've done um, literally f- recirculating the beer, um, pulling it out of the bottom of the fermenter into a pump, out of the pump, back into the midport of the fermenter, not like the spray bulb. That would be crazy. <laughs> um, but I'm talking about like these big fermenters that normally have this blow off arm on the side. Um, a lot of times they have also one that's used for CIP. I have actually seen someone suggest that we do that one time and the look on everyone's face was just of pure horror, (laughs) (laughs) but I am talking about a kind of a slow process because you really don't want to beat up your beer. You're just trying to re-spin the yeast, right? Um, And then, you know, we have systems put in place for things like that in some breweries over in England, like the Burton Union system. And Jen, tell us real quick how that system works. Yeah, so there's actually three traditional fermentation methods in English brewing. So those are designed to keep the yeast in suspension because like we've been discussing, it's very high flocculating and also to help facilitate harvesting the healthiest and most most viable cells after prim- primary fermentation. <laughs> after primary fermentation. The three main traditional fermentation methods are open squares or rounds, Burton Union system, or Yorkshire stone systems. So with open squares or rounds, that's open fermentation, right? We've talked about that on the podcast before. It's usually it's going to be shallow, like a shallow fermenter, six to 13 feet deep, 
It's going to be oversized, open to the air, is often made of wood, um, is traditionally coated with pitch or varnish because you're not trying to get a barrel character from it, um, that you're just open using that as a way to open ferment. Um, but now they're usually going to be like stainless steel uh, or plastic. So with the open squares or rounds, the process is a skimming system. And that's where the yeast rises to the top and is either skimmed or it's dropped. Notice that we said rise to the top because English brewing is overwhelmingly ale brewing. So it's going to be top fermenting. And in a skimming system, the yeast is removed by sliding a long board across the whole surface of a vessel. So think about like if you've been in a Belgian bar and you've seen them take the like the knife and, you know, kind of chop the foam off the top of your beer. That's basically what's going on with an open uh, open fermenter. So the yeast is going to be skimmed every 10 to 12 hours. The first skimming is going to be thrown away because it's going to have like the albumin, hop resins and under attenuative yeast. So that's getting rid of that, all of that kind of the, the stuff that just flows to the top right away. And the second skimming is usually discarded because it often has dead or mutated yeast cells. And this, this method is effective with non-flocculent and flocculent yeast strains. So like we've been to Dovetail, they have everything in open fermenters there. And that's where primary fermentation happens. And they also skim. So think of, you know, something like that is what that's going to be like. Um, so then the other, the other process you can have with open squares or rounds is called the dropping system. And in a dropping system, the fermenting wort is run into vessels that are the same general type as the first vessels, but the goal is to leave behind most of the settlement. So dropping, um, that will also serve as you're dropping it from one fermenter to another to mix and aerate the wort. And dropping is done about 24 hours into fermentation or when the gravity has dropped halfway to its expected value. And we saw something similar to this when we took the tour of Fuller's when we were in London, where they didn't really point it out, but it was something that like occurred to us as we're taking the tour. You start on the very top floor, that's where the mill is. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then like the next floor is, is like the boil kettle and it's, everything is a vertical system. So when you get down to the bottom, you know, like the penultimate floor is here's fermentation. And then the bottom floor is here's where packaging happens. And that was, you know, a result of, of the times and what was available. So a dropping system would be where you had one fermenter under another and you're just dropping the beer down into it. So then with the Burton Union system, uh, this Marsons continues to use a union system. Uh, Bass Brewery also used to have one. Those were like kind of the two bigger ones. But the Burton Union system is a wood barrel fermentation system uh, used predominantly in and around Burton-on-Trent. Uh, so I, I will also say Firestone Walker has like a modified Burton Union system which I would love to see in person. I would love to see yeah. the Martians, Burton Union. I think I would cry. Like, I think that would be one of those like beer nerdy things that would, I would be like, well, I'm seeing the Burton Union system. <laughs> uh, with Marsons particularly, they use it for their pedigree bitter. And they claim that the union, using the union system gives Marston's ale a distinctive signature fruity dryness 
and also accentuates the Burton snatch aroma, which is that like really high sulfate um, aroma that you can get when you've, when you're brewing with like highly, like high gypsum beers. Mm -hmm. So the way a Burton union system works, the union sets are four barrel casks. And then there are typically two rows of 12 casks. Those are fitted on stillage, like similar to what you would see with a regular cask or what's known as a trunnion, which is basically the same thing as a way to hold those casks into place. Then we have the barm back, which is the trough that sits above the stillage. That's also called a top trough. So if you picture, you know, picture your casks on like on their side and then above it, that is the barm back. So the barm back is kept at a cooler temperature to help facilitate the yeast sedimentation, a cooler temperature than the casks. And it's also tilted slightly to one side where there's different holes at different levels to allow the beer to flow into a second back. So the second back is known as a feeder and it directs beer back into the casks via side rods. And you have bung holes that are fitted with swan necks that fitted into the cask with a swan neck that empties into the barn back. So basically as the beer is fermenting, it's going up through these rods into the barn back. And then that is, that's going to has like the little holes in it that will allow the beer to go back into the second back. And that's going to be the beer that's going in there and then that is fed back into the cask. So it's very much a, like an ongoing process of like, it's not like washing the beer, but like it, it kind of is. Mm -hmm. And each cask is fitted with an atemperator. Uh, and so is the, the barm back and the feeder. So the way that this works is the yort, the yort, what is it with today? The wort. <laughs> is pitched in a large open ton and allowed to begin fermenting. And after the yeast head starts to appear about five to 15 hours later, the wort is dropped into the union sets. So during the early fermentation, the wort is allowed to blow back into the cast via the lowest hole in the barm back. So in that top trough, then during middle fermentation, the wort flows through a hole just above the sedimented yeast in the in the barn back. Um, so these are this is going to be the most effective for those non-flocculent strains. So like we said, like kind of that beer, that yeast is always kind of being roused and fed back in mm -hmm. uh, during fermentation. So then we have the Yorkshire Square system. And Yorkshire Squares originated in northern English, in northern England, and they're designed to keep the highly flocculent yeast strains used in Yorkshire and Lancashire uh, in suspension. So this think of like Sam Smith's, uh, they still use a Yorkshire square system for like the same reason that they were using the Burton Union system. And these were originally made of stone and now they're made out of slates. Uh, Samuel Smith's actually uses Welsh slate um, because they feel it helps keep the natural carbonation in the beer. Uh, and so it gives their beer a creamier texture. But they, uh, most vessels now are made of stainless steel. But like I said, Sam Smith still uses slate. 
and they can be up to like 300 hectoliters in size now. So the way these work is it's a fermenting square with that same kind of similar barm back on the top of it. And the barm back has a manhole cut in the center of what's known as the separating deck. Uh, so the manhole is generally 18 inches in diameter and it's surrounded by a lip about five to six inches high. And that deck can also have three additional holes. So the first is usually fitted with a stainless steel or copper organ pipe that reaches nearly to the bottom of the lower square. The second pipe is fitted with a pump to transfer fermenting wort to the top square. So it's really similar to the Burton Union system in that way. And historically how the process worked was yeast and water were mixed together in the upper square and then allowed to run into the lower square via the manhole. Then the wort is pitched with a highly flocculent strain in an open vessel and then dropped into the Yorkshire squares. So the action of fermentation forces the yeast head up through the manhole into the top square. And then there's a runoff uh, back into the bottom square that is regulated with a valve. So the brewer pumps the fermenting wort from the lower to the upper squares before allowing it to run back into the lower square. And that's how they do that to keep the yeast in suspension. So those are three ways in traditional English brewing that they have developed to account for that highly flocculating yeast. Well, they are the thank experts. You. Yes, thank you for coming. <laughs> and just so you all know, since it will, it will probably be cut out, I uh, was able to say all that because I made myself a PowerPoint like three years ago <laughs> about uh, Burton Squares, uh, Yorkshire Squares, and open fermenters. Well, now that you're a master, that's what you get. You have to do the extra heavy lifting now. Right. You have, you have to talk about the hard <laughs> stuff. I just get to keep rolling in. Yeah, right. Thank you so much, Master Cicerone, Jen Blair. You are the shit. And uh, we're going to wrap up. We decided in the middle of recording that we need to make this a two-part episode because we just have so much to say. So <laughs> you're going to get attenuation on the second part, but we're going to wrap up a little bit about some harvesting about harvesting yeast when you're when you are using really any strain you need to keep this in mind so when you are harvesting yeast um you can increase or decrease a yeast strain's flocculation tendency and uh, depending on what yeast you harvest so let's think about a fermenter with a cone on the bottom and all your yeast has collected into that cone and you are setting up a hose and all the jazz that you need to pull yeast off of that but so yeast that's collected from the bottom of the cone, this is going to be yeast that's flocculated early. Um, and then yeast collected from the top of that cone, that's going to be the yeast that flocculated from the last. It's also going to be the most amount of where you kind of your dead stuff is as well. So we always teach everyone to, we really want to pull that middle part of the yeast. You know, there's no, um, even with doing all the cell counts and everything you can do in a microscope, there's still an art to pulling yeast. Like you still need to kind of, you know, when we worked at left hand, for an example, we had it, people who worked in the yeast lab, they would be like, Hey, go ahead and pull off this many kilograms. Cause they had done some math for us as brewers to say, if we have this many kilograms, that will be fine. And then we had this like yeast brink that was like a fermenter. It was huge. Um, 
that was hooked up to a scale. So we could watch that scale go up and down. And that's how we knew. But we still had to, when we pulled that yeast off from another building, mind you, we still had, I mean, sometimes. Yeah. Like that's how long these pathways are. Right. And just depending on what you need. So you still had to go and watch and let that first part of it kind of dump off and look for, you know, you're looking for dead black specks, which is your dead yeast. And there's a grittiness to it. And there's, there's a look and a feel to your yeast before you get to that good stuff. And that's the stuff you want. That's going to give you the most consistency in your reuse. Um, Now there's other things to keep in mind too. So there's different um, process aids or different, uh, nutrient uh, not nutrients but enzymes that you can add to your beer to do things so let's say you are adding a biofine to your beer because you want to help clarify that beer now if you want to harvest that yeast you should harvest that yeast before you add that biofine that biofine is going to put selective pressure to um on your yeast um sometimes people like to add biofine into the bright tank that's always very acceptable um, you can do that. You can put it in the bright tank or the fermenter. We do it depending on what's happening with the yeast at the brewery. If we're going to harvest it or not, we will maybe put it in the bright tank versus the fermenter. Um, and that's kind of a time dependent situation or decision. Sometimes we might put it in the, we might harvest the yeast, then put it in the fermenter. Um, and also I like to point out that sometimes these biofine, these agents, so they are, acting as an agent to take whatever's left in suspension and pull it together, right? To help clarify your beer. Sometimes that pulling togetherness will happen at the bottom of the tank. Sometimes it happens right in the middle of the tank. And we don't really know why. Um, I like, yes, me as brewer, Rachel, I don't know why, but I'm just saying like the science, they don't really know why that happens, but sometimes that happens. So if you are transferring beer and you're like, what the fuck? Why is it all of a sudden cloudy? It could just be where this suspension has settled and um, it's going to be fine. You're like, it's not going to be the end of the world. If you get some in there, you will just settle again into the bottom of your keg as it like kind of naturally loggers itself when you have it hooked up. So just a little quick add on about harvesting yeast is something to be mindful of you know whether you're doing homebrew or not you you want to get the good stuff that's kind of in the middle of the pack of the yeast um especially if you're trying to keep brewing the same beer now if you're not trying to keep brewing the same beer you don't care that's cool but you still need to look out for your dead yeast and make sure you're getting good stuff yeah Um, and i think that's really interesting i i have harvested yeast like on a homebrew scale and i remember you you talking about particularly when we were taking that yeast class at white labs about how you can tell, like when you're running it out, you can tell. And it's one of those things that like, you know, you listen to it and you're like, well, yeah, but Rachel, you've worked in brewing for a long time. But then like when I've harvested it as a home brewer and let it settle, like you can tell. Oh yeah, for sure. It's very clear. It's like you like sand art, you know, where you feel like the different layers, like it stratifies into very clear levels. I would like to mention one thing real quick. Um, I have noticed with making starters with British strains specifically, they go in the next day and it kind of looks weird. It looks like the, it's chunky and it kind of looks dead almost. And you're just like, this looks weird. That is normal with a British strain. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do, if do it versus like a Cali strain, you'll see a more creamy slurry. With a British, you're going to see this like clump, maybe darker almost in color. It's perfectly normal. 
Yes. I, one of the reasons why I love brewing with British yeast as a home brewer is because of those clumps and actually being able to, you know, like the carboy is setting still, it is stable, but that, mm-hmm. those fermentation forces happening, you just see like the, the big clumps moving around yeah in, like in the beer and it's just so cool like it's just cool to actually be able to it see it it's really cool to see it when we and open with english ale yeast since yeah. it's like the biggest flocks like you you can see that in a way that you can't see it with other beer oh yeah and when we opened the brewery you may remember this but we had like a carboy of fermenting beer just sitting on the bar mm-hmm. and i remember this one guy just sitting next to it with his beer and he was just like i love this are you always going to do this i was like no it's a very the beer's gonna be very bad because yeah. of all the sunlight, but uh, it's really just for show, and it would be an expensive thing to show all the time. But that's cool, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is. It's like watching a lava lamp. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. Is... <laughs> yeah. But it's gonna give that. you stuff at the end of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, like Rachel said, we will make this a two-parter because we had more flocculation as we were talking. Our knowledge flocked into bigger flocks. Why? And then. And then just fell out. So <laughs> <It's just laughs> some out of us everywhere. have to go to Munich tonight. So we will make this a two-parter. And All eventually, right. I promise you, we will get to this article that Shana wrote. Oh, so good. Go read it for yourself before the episode. Uh, Omega has a website called topcrop.com, I think it is. Dot co. Dot co. Dot co. Topcrop.co. T-O-P-C-R-O-P dot co. Shana, you can't miss it. Go school yourself and learn some stuff, but not don't learn too much because yeah, because we're going to listen to our next episode. Yeah, but you know, you you if you don't listen to us, you'll miss out on so many great stories. <laughs> 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 so great, we don't even know what they are yet. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so thank you everyone for listening. Uh, thank you for your support. As always, you can. Uh, Visit our Patreon if you'd like to become a Patreon subscriber uh, to provide additional support. Totally fine. If not, I will say it's been a while since I've asked everyone to please take a couple of seconds to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on because it helps people find us. You can find us at False Bottom Girls on Instagram and Facebook, and you can also visit our website, falsebottomgirls.com. You can email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the brewing world go round. <laughs>